Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Roundtable Podcast with Miles, Joe, and Zach. You can find us on Twitter at PodRoundtable. Feel free to DM us with any content ideas or anything of the like. Hope you guys enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Roundtable Podcast. Today, it is just Joe, no Zach, no Miles. You get me, unfiltered, by myself, and we'll see how it goes. So, we're going to do mostly NFL, going to recap most of the games from week six. I'm recording this on Monday night. The Chiefs and uh, Bills are currently going on right now last I checked the Chiefs were up 10 so I'm not going to be able to give you really a full recap of that game nor will I be able to obviously do anything Arizona versus Dallas because that game hasn't started yet I do want to start however with Chicago versus Carolina with a couple of points Chicago obviously won again and they've only lost one game but do they really feel like one of the best teams in the NFC to me they don't like I still think that they're not going to beat Green Bay in the playoffs. I'll take Rodgers over Foles in that in that um, in that matchup. In the playoffs, will they beat Tampa Bay? I mean, Brady can't seem to beat Nick Foles, so in that case, maybe. But I still don't see them getting through Rodgers. Um, I don't see them getting through Seattle and Russell Wilson. Do they beat the Saints if the Saints figure it out? Do they beat? San Francisco, do they beat the Rams? I really don't know. I just, to me, it doesn't feel like they really are truly one of the best teams in that conference. I know the Bear, their defenses look really good, but the offense to me, like, it's just bleh. Like, it doesn't look good. Carolina doesn't have a good defense, and they squeezed out this win. Nick Foles didn't put up a great stat line. David Montgomery didn't run the ball a ton, and this is a really bad defense they were up against. So, I worry about their ability to really put up points when they really need to. So to me, that's kind of their issue. And I think it stems and brings itself to a head when you think about like, okay, so if they're not going to truly be able to compete for a title this year, they're not there yet. Let's, let's, let's say they're not. Nick Foles is 31. Is he your long-term option of quarterback? No, probably not. There's a couple good ones, obviously, in this draft coming up. Obviously, you're like four and one, five and one. You're not going to be really in the running for any of these top quarterbacks, but there are a few in this draft that people are really highly touting. Mitch Trubisky obviously isn't your long-term option because you haven't been able to develop him yet with an offensive-minded head coach. So you're kind of in limbo with a solid team with no real avenue besides free agency to truly improve your quarterback position and I don't know if the free agent market looks that great for quarterbacks next year you have potentially Dak if he doesn't get franchise tagged again which reports are saying that Jerry Jones is going to tag him again which is just a crime like you wouldn't pay him a long-term option and you're going to hold him hostage under the tag again after his ankle injury like sure he'll get paid for that year but you're not offering him any long-term stability with that so Dak probably won't hit the open market does Cam hit the open market? Do you want an older Cam Newton who's been injury prone and didn't look good this week? And we'll get to the Patriots later. And obviously they didn't get to practice much, but 
it doesn't feel like Chicago has an answer in sight for how they are going to handle the quarterback position moving forward. So that would be my concern if I was a Bears fan. Carolina, I'll say I'm surprised at how well they're playing. I know Matt Rule is really known for like turning around cultures quick with what he did at Baylor and how he took them from being like a 2-10 and team to one of the best teams in the country by the time he was gone. So I was surprised to see a turnaround this quick. Even their like social media account is like all in on them being a tough football team. And it's like from top to bottom, that organization is trying to preach being tough, competing. And honestly, it's great. Like I think it's a great thing for the league to have a competitive, like just like a team that turns around so quickly. Like I think it's just good for the league. Um, the offense looks pretty good. I mean, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, obviously they're going to get Christian McCaffrey back soon. Like they're sneaky good. And I think it's just surprising to me. Obviously they're, I don't think they're really going to be competitive once like trying to get into the play, like getting into the playoffs and like what that would look like. But I'm just, I'm just shocked at how quickly they're turning it around. Next game, Cincy versus Indianapolis. Burrow and T. Higgins, they look good. That looks like it's going to be a at least, I mean, six games in. Like, let's pump the brakes, obviously, a little bit. But they look like they're going to be a good combo. Um, looks like he's go- Higgins is going to be the number one wide receiver for Burrow, at least throughout the course of their rookie deals. And there's an opportunity there for them to develop and really take control of that offense. The offensive line stinks. Joe Mixon doesn't have a lot of room to run. Burrow is obviously trying to not get hit and is scrambling and avoiding the rush for his life. But overall, another team that I'm like, okay, like this is rather, this is good. Like this is good for the league that these teams are, these, some of these teams that were really bad last year are showing some improvement. Um, Indianapolis making the comeback obviously is the storyline of this game being down. I think it was 21 to nothing. So credit there. Indy, I said it a couple weeks ago, I thought they were going to be a sneaky good team with their offense and the pieces that they have. C.Y. Hilton has been a non-factor in that offense, and yet still they're making it work. That defense is really, really good. That offensive line is really, really good. Um, If you listen to the episode with Dello about fantasy football, he talked about how their offensive and defensive line are the best combination of both in football. So in the stats that he brought up about that and the, the resources he brought up. So they're just showing that they're legit, that they're going to be another team in the AFC that's primed to try to make a playoff run and see where it goes. Just shock, honestly shocked. Like I didn't think I thought Rivers was going to be pretty much washed up and sure. He's still throwing check downs and doing what he does, but I, I didn't think they'd be this able to make like comebacks and things like that. Washington versus the New York giants. All they wrote down here was ugly. They're both one and five now, and the stat lines show it was just there was not a lot of offense in this game. Just God, that division is so bad. There's it's just such a bad division right now. And can we not let one of them in the playoffs? (laughs) Just from a fan's perspective, can we not have one of these teams that barely makes 500 be in the playoffs? Because it's just not going to be a great product. Like that team's going to get absolutely washed. Also, if we want to like <laughs> think about the division winner and what they're going to like, if the division winner is like six and eight at this point at this rate, like um, you're going to have one six and eight team at with like the 20th pick in the draft because they made the playoffs. 
And then second place in that division is going to have like the seventh pick. So you're only screwing yourself if you win that division. Just going to kind of going back to what I said about the Bears, like you're not getting a ton of chances to improve your football team at 20th overall versus seventh. Like you'd much rather have the seventh pick if you're a gross middling team that's not doing well. Not that the Bears are that, but like anybody in the NFC least are. So uh, I don't recommend watching many of those games. Just going to throw that out there. Baltimore versus Philly. Really shocked with how Philly fought their way back, but couldn't hold it out. Couldn't really couldn't really pull out that comeback. The big storyline here, I think, for Philly fans, Miles Sanders and Zach Ertz both got hurt. Uh, Miles Sanders was getting an MRI on his knee. I haven't seen any results from that MRI. Um, Zach Ertz has a high ankle sprain. He's going to be out for about a month. So those are two impactful players. Obviously, Zach Ertz, excuse me, Zach Ertz has not had the impact he has had in years past, but still, it doesn't help with the limited amount of weapons that you have on that team that your three down running back in Miles Sanders, who's looked really good, is going to be hurt. And obviously, you're like Wentz's historically favorite target, even if it hasn't panned out this year, he's still getting a lot of targets, and that you're losing that. So with Ertz and Goddard now on going to probably go to IR, it does not bode well for the Philadelphia offense. I would be concerned. But again, you could win the division at 6-8, and eight, so or 6-10. and uh, 10. So who really knows? Pittsburgh versus Cleveland. I saw a meme about Baker Mayfield, and I think it just fits perfectly. It's like the endless cycle of Baker Mayfield not playing well, taking it personally, saying like, and then overperforming, or not overperforming, but like beating down on a team that they should beat down on because they aren't good, riding the coattails of that and being like, Baker's back, Baker's back, and then getting his teeth kicked in and then you just start the cycle over. It doesn't seem that he's a good quarterback. And I was somebody that wanted to hold out judgment. I really did. I was like, you know what? He had a good rookie year, pretty bad last year, but you know, they got a new head coach. They got to figure it out. Like, okay, let's see how this goes. They've got weapons. It just doesn't seem to work against any quality football team. Like the only team that they looked like they were going to put out like a good win and be like, oh, like this offense is good was against Dallas. Who can't stop a runny nose? They're terrible. So when do you move on from Baker? Like it's got to be at the end of that rookie deal, right? Like you can't, you can't keep rolling him out there, hoping he's going to win you a big game. And then just getting his teeth kicked in because he can't do it. He got benched in the end, at the end of the third quarter for Case Keenum. And sure, they're probably going to spin it like the game was out of reach. They didn't want him to get hurt. That pass rush and the front seven for the Steelers is so good that he was going to get hit. Still, you benched him with a whole quarter left. So your starting quarterback couldn't keep you in the game long enough that he got to play in four quarters. That's not a good sign. Uh, Odell was frustrated on the sideline. He only got four targets. I'm sure the trade rumors of Odell getting traded because he's unhappy and it's not working. I'm sure that's all going to start up again. It just, it's rinse and repeat with this team. Like, at some point you got to, like, Baker's got to go. I'm, I'm declaring him dead. I'm declaring it. That's over. Like, move on. But we'll see how it goes. I could be wrong. 
at old takes exposed me on Twitter if uh, Baker starts to go off and have a great career. But I don't. I just I'm declaring it dead. I think it's over with him. Best game of the week so far: Titans versus Texans. That was a shootout. Derrick Henry is a beast. Probably gonna win me my fantasy matchup because he put up like 40 points for me. Like, dude's an absolute monster. Just it is what it is. Bill O'Brien clearly also on the other side of the ball. Bill O'Brien, it was certainly holding back the Texans offense because all of a sudden the ball is getting spread around and Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks are both producing for Deshaun and Deshaun is putting up numbers again. Sure, their defense isn't doing anything. And while Romeo Cornell is a defensive coach, the defense hasn't gotten any better. How much of that is on the pieces they have? How much of that is on the coaching? Either way, for the offensive coach that Bill O'Brien was supposed to be, he was clearly holding back that offense. So I don't know how he gets a job as an offensive coordinator in the league after this. Sort of to me feels like he's going to have to go back to college to really just like create a reputation that's not I traded away DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson's corpse and ran this franchise into the ground because that's what it looks like he did and I think we'll all agree there so feels to me like he's gonna have to go back to college and just re just kind of create that reputation again like he had such a good rep coming out of really coming out of like I think it was Penn State so with how he turned it around after the whole Joe Paterno scandal. So to me, that feels like it's the next logical move for him from a career standpoint. Obviously, we won't know until like the offseason, but heard it here first. Do not be shocked if he has to go back to college because an NFL team will not give him an offensive coaching job. San Francisco versus LA. The Rams struggled on O for most of the night. You know, it didn't really look great. They ran the ball okay. They weren't really throwing it well. There were it just, it just didn't look great. The San Francisco defense looked good. I will give them credit for a defense that's been really reeling in injuries. Um, Nick Bosa's been out. Sherman's been out. They kind of pieced it together for that game, and they shut down the running attack of the Rams, which had been very good this year. So credit where credit is due. Garoppolo looked better than last week, but he still is favoring that ankle. Like He looks hesitant. There was a couple throws where, specifically, I think, there was a couple I saw the fourth down throw for the touchdown to Kittle. That was a good throw, but he really didn't step up into the throw super well. Like he kind of spun out of it with trying to just protect his ankle. Like he didn't leave his base there. Like he really made sure that he protected himself, which like I get it. You're hurt, but it's going to like, that's going to affect you eventually. Like you're going to make mistakes. Like there were definitely throws that he missed that were wide open because he just didn't step into it. He just wasn't confident. He wasn't comfortable getting a wide base, getting all of his cleats into the ground and making an accurate throw. And just like it, he's just afraid of that ankle. So it's something to monitor. I don't know when their bye week is off the top of my head. I think that's going to be really big for them when he can rest the ankle again, but just monitor it. I know. Raheem Mostert is going to probably miss some time with a high ankle sprain as well. He's going to be, I think they said he's going to be headed to the IR. That came out today. So I think that offense is something to monitor. They're going to have to manufacture touches for Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel to keep them going, I think. So obviously Kyle Shanahan's good at that. He's good at manufacturing touches and using 
uh, his skill players in interesting, deceptive ways that creativity, like that's kind of his his thing. So don't I'm not sh- I won't be shocked to see it, but I think it's something that they're going to have to rely on a little more heavily with a bit of a hobbled quarterback, and they're probably their best running back. I mean, you no, they're rewind that. Raheem Mostert is their best running back. So they're going to be missing him. So like they're going to need to be a little bit more creative on offense. The last two games I want to touch on, um, well, I guess three games. I'm going to completely really omit Miami versus the Jets. The Jets suck. I don't know why they still have Adam Gase. A Peyton Manning recommendation is apparently worth like five years of being absolutely terrible at coaching. Like props, love bell, you got out. You're going to Kansas City. I think that's going to be a great fit. I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire has struggled at the goal line. He's been stood up a good amount of times. Lev Bell's a good goal line back. He's a good receiving back. He's going to get touches. He's going to be fantastic. I think a lot of the people around the league were saying he was washed up. A lot of Patriots Twitter was saying he was washed up because he wasn't coming here. And I think they're probably going to eat their words on that. Lev Bell is still only like 28, 29, and he's had so a lot of time off because. Certainly there was the injury with the hamstring and which Adam Gase said he shouldn't have put him back in after hurting a hamstring. Like, hello, no shit. But he had, he took the year off where he sat out. Like, I think he's got more left in the tank than people want to give him credit for. And that team, the Jets are just inept. So I don't really want to talk more about them. Miami, however, sneaky good. I mean, Fitzpatrick's balling out. He's having fun. He's living his life. Devontae Parker is still pretty good. I mean, I know that he didn't look great last game, but, like, sneaky good team. You got to like what uh, Brian Flores is doing down there. They've got uh, Tua for the future. It doesn't look like at this rate that Tua is going to have to get playing time. I mean, I know it's the Jets. Like, they could look really bad against some other team, but they just came off doing the same thing to San Francisco. So, I was saying, I think, last week, um, I don't know. Actually, I don't know if I said it on recording. So if I haven't, I'll say it now. I was thinking that Miami would be pressured into putting Tua in this year after seeing the success that Burrow and Herbert are, ha- are having because they're both playing well, right? Like, let's let's give them credit where it's due. They're two rookie quarterbacks that are playing well in their first year. It doesn't always happen. A lot of times they need rookie quarterbacks need time to develop. They need time to sit behind a veteran, learn what they have to do, learn what it's all about. Both of those guys have really stepped up and started producing. Burrow won the job outright going into camp, was voted team captain, so obviously looks good for him. Herbert stepping in after the Tyrod Taylor debacle with the punctured lung from the team doctor and then being named the starter for the rest of the year from Anthony Lynn. Like, both of those guys are having success. I really thought that Miami would feel pressured to let Tua eat and let him cook and see how it goes. Props that they're not doing it. I think that that's smart to not really succumb to peer pressure and the narrative around the league. But Ryan Fitzpatrick has given them zero reason to want to do that. He's playing well, and apparently Tua loves him. Like Apparently they have a really good bond in that quarterback room, so keep doing what you're doing. Pretty sure they're leading their their second in the AFC East right now. So the Patriots are third, which is wild to be saying that this late in the ball game. Something you don't normally get to say about the Patriots. So it is just it's crazy. It's a wild year. And with that, I want to transition to the Patriots game. Patriots Broncos did not look good. 
That was a ugly, ugly, ugly football game. Couple things. First off, you could tell the Patriots hadn't practiced. They just like couldn't execute anything. The, like it is what it is, right? Like I think it's something that personally I worry, and I've I've had this conversation with friends I play fantasy football with that with how bad the Patriots looked because they didn't practice, you're going to see more teams potentially risk it like the Titans did and have captain's practices when the facilities are closed because the Titans came back from their layoff looking ready to go. Fired on all cylinders, beat the doors off the Bills, and then they just executed their offense great against the Texans as well. So they looked good coming back, and the Patriots didn't. You don't often get to say the Patriots did not look good because they could not execute and they made stupid mistakes. That's just not what they do. Throwback again to Dello on our show saying that they are the best-run organization in professional sports. They didn't look like it, and it goes to show that that's really all bred in practice. So I'm concerned that teams are going to ignore the NFL's guidelines when it comes to practicing when they have players who have tested positive or been exposed because it is such a competitive disadvantage to not practice. If the NFL is going to throw you out there and say, we don't care, you need to go play this game, they're going to look like crap and they're going to get their doors kicked in. So they're not setting a great precedent with no punishment yet for the Titans. And apparently it went from being a major punishment to potentially being a little bit more minor. I think Adam Schefter said that. At least that's what I had heard. Um, I think you are really opening yourself up to teams not taking it seriously, which is obviously not what you want because, I mean, I want the season to finish. I think they need to go to a bubble. I think a multi-region bubble where you group teams like in the Northeast, I think I've said this before, like in the Northeast and some other areas and you make it work that way. And then throw in like a two-week buy in the middle of the year just to like give everybody two weeks off because you want to give them time to go home and then also get tested before they come back. Like I think that makes the most sense. Like lengthen the season, sure. Give them a two-week buy in the middle an extra week between the playoffs so they have time to go home and see their families because the bubble is obviously going to be would be stressful on them like you don't get to see loved ones like I get that but that to me feels like it makes the most sense but I'll circle back to the Patriots again Bill Belichick and Tom Brady had never lost a game where the opposing team did not score a touchdown and the Broncos did not score a touchdown I had someone bring up when I was telling them I was doing a solo show, they were like, hey, you know, this would be a really good time to revisit Bill Belichick versus Tom Brady, who was more important. And again, take this all with a grain of salt because I literally just talked up and down about how not practicing was a huge competitive disadvantage and the Patriots have looked good and competed against teams this year, obviously without Tom Brady. But I think it goes to show that it really was both of them. Like for everyone that likes to say it's a Tom was a system quarterback, you know, he just did what Belichick told him to do. Like, can we put that to bed? Please. He's producing in Tampa Bay. Sure, he had a shaky week one. He's had some pick sixes, which are uncharacteristic. I really overestimated how he wouldn't throw interceptions, but everyone says a Bruce Arians first year 
with a quarterback, like they're going to throw picks. It's just what happens. He's still producing. They beat they beat the crap out of the the Packers, who looked really good up until then. Like Brady's legit. Call it what it is. He's throwing the ball downfield. Gronk wildly looked like resurgent. Like all of a sudden he looked back to like 2016-ish. Like he didn't look out of this world athletic like I don't know how many years ago that's been, but he definitely didn't look as hobbled. Like he produced. He like a couple like I think he had like five catches, like 70 something yards and a touchdown. If Brady and Gronk get their game going, they got Godwin back, Mike Evans gets healthier. Ronald Jones has looked like all of a sudden is like breaking out into being like a very good running back. And I know he always had talent, but there was always the issues of his inability to catch the football, his his lapses in pass protection, which is why he kind of didn't really stay on the field a ton originally with Bruce Arians. Arians had kind of had a zero tolerance policy for those mistakes. The team looks good. That defense is legit. It is so good. I drastically underestimated how good that defense was going to be coming in, and they absolutely shut the Packers down. The Packers, who had been putting up like 30 points a game, Rodgers was on his fuck you revenge tour, just like Brady was when they took Garoppolo. Rodgers looked like he was, I mean, he still probably is, but like this was the blip in the road where he faced a good elite defense and it showed. I think that's a game that will be closer next time around if it's in like the NFC title game. I would look I'd look forward to it. That's probably my NFC title game right now. Um because that did a lot for the Bucks for me watching that game. I talked about a couple weeks ago how they were going to look really good against Carolina and team and people are going to overestimate, like overreact, like oh, the Bucks are back, like Super Bowl favorites, let's go and it's like, all right, like let's pump the brakes. Like Carolina is not a good football team. Granted, they're better than I thought they were. But Beating the doors off the Packers, that to me is like, oh, okay, you're legit. And the defense is legit. Brady's back. He's legit. Godwin's back. Evans is still there. Gronk is looking better. The running game's there. Like, they could come out of the NFC. I didn't think they were going to when I, this year started. I certainly didn't think they were going to be after the Saints game. We'll see when they play again in a couple of weeks what that looks like. But, Tampa is showing everybody they're still in the running for the NFC. And honestly, as a football fan, it's exciting. Like, I think getting a playoffs of Rodgers, Breeze, Brady, Russ, the four of those guys in the same conference on, like, divisional weekend, that's going to be such a fun, fun playoffs. And I, I'm just excited. Didn't really register to me that all four of them are in the same conference till this actual moment, but holy crap, that's going to be a fun NFC playoffs, and I'll leave it at that. The last thing, going back to the Patriots, did Nikhil Harry run the wrong route? He was open on that fourth down, Cam threw it to the outside. I don't know. I've looked on Twitter. Some people say, yeah, Cam thought he was going that way. But how much of it's on Cam? How much of it is on Nikhil? I am very nervous for Nikhil. Just from the standpoint of it is so painful 
to watch him not produce, but then see DK Metcalf become a top 10 wide receiver to see AJ Brown dominating now that he's healthy again to see Justin Jefferson go off to see Jerry Judy looking really good rugs looked really good last week all of these young wide receivers are immediately making an impact Brandon Ayuk making an immediate impact for the 49ers like these guys are good and I was like swearing up and down like I wasn't going to give up on him after one year. He was hurt. He didn't get to practice. It was an ankle injury. He was sluggish coming back. It makes sense. I thought he put on weight because he probably just lifted all the whole time he was hurt. I really was optimistic that he was working with the footwork coach and that it's going to become more second nature and he's going to get better and better. But he's not. He just doesn't look good. And I'm getting close to being like he's never going to be like he's not going to make it past his rookie contract with the Patriots. I'm not there yet. I think they could swip, they could move him to be more of an inside guy, almost sort of play tight end. He's still big. He's still strong. I think that there's an option there, and I think he's a good blocking wide receiver. So if you move him inside more to a tight end position, maybe that frees him up on better matchups for him, and maybe that revitalizes his production. But like, I'm getting close to pretty much declaring he probably will not make it past his rookie contract with the Patriots, and. As a first round pick, that is miserable. Like, that is such a bust. And I'm just not happy about it. Like, Brian Phillips on Twitter is like up and down. Like, people don't typically miss on rookie wide receivers in the draft. Like, if you have a first round grade on a wide receiver, you they're a surefire thing. Like, they're supposed to be a surefire thing. We talked with Zach the other week about how. Bill almost talked Atlanta out of drafting Julio Jones. And like this honestly, it looks like Bill just needs to hire someone else to draft his wide receivers because this is just not working out. And I don't like it. I don't want to declare Harry dead, but it's pretty it's getting close. It's getting close. And if he doesn't start producing, then he's he's pretty much a bust. He already is a bust, technically. Like First round, right? First round wide receivers make immediate impacts. Like you can find ways to get them involved, and they make an immediate impact. I gave him a pass because the injury, but for where you drafted him, he is not producing what he should be. So he's a bust in that regard. I'm not declaring his NFL like career dead. I'm not declaring his Patriots career dead yet, but it is dangerously close. And I'll leave it there. That's our football talk. I want to dive into the Masters. I'm a big golf guy. It's coming up. We're going to get a fall Masters this year, which is wild. Go from having uh, last Masters with Tiger winning it. It got rescheduled to the morning on Sunday because of thunderstorms. So you woke up. I actually distinctly remember waking up, watching the Masters at like 8 in the morning. Tiger finishing and winning the Masters at like 3, 3.30, I want to say. And then flipping it over to the Celtics-Bucks playoff game. Which they blew up. They blew them out in that game. It was great, but then obviously that series went to shit. But now you go from having that drastic, like that was a huge deal. Like, oh my god, the Masters is like moving it up on to Sunday morning because they refused to play on Monday. Like that's wild. And then now we're getting a fall Masters with COVID nineteen. Wild. Still, I'm still like shocked. We're gonna see Augusta National with fall foliage, which will be picturesque. I'm sure. I know personally I hate playing golf in the fall because like 
leaves are everywhere, your ball hides under a leaf, it takes forever to find it. I'm sure Augusta will be picturesque. You'll only get the the vibes and the visuals of the fall foliage, but like it will be perfectly clean on the ground. They're gonna have guys out there like blow torching it or blowing them away, like leaf blowing, like picking them up hand like one by one. Who knows at that place? But it'll be fun. Couple things that I just noticed. I was looking at them the odds today. So Bryson DeChambeau is the odds-on favorite for the Masters. And if you aren't a golf guy, he basically said during quarantine when everything shut down, he was like, I'm just going to get ripped. Like, I'm just going to lift a shit ton and just hit the ball as hard and as far as I possibly can. And he got ridiculed for it. Everybody was like, that's never going to work. It's a sham. Like, you're a joke. Like, come on. And he already got some flack because he uses, like, the one-length irons. And he's, like, basically uses, like, the quadratic formula for, like, every golf shot. He's a huge math and, like, physics guy. But you really can't really can't call him out for it because he won the U.S. Open. Like, he's making it work. It took him a couple of months, and he led starts. He's leading the, the tour in driving distance now, I'm pretty sure. He's figuring it out. Like, when he first came back, he was, like, spinning his wedges too much, and he, like, couldn't dial in a short game, but he was still mashing the ball. And it was like, if he ever figures that out, it might work. But, like, that's going to be hard. Like, that's hard for him to do. And then, like, Two months later, he was like, oh, he figured out his wedges. Rory McIlroy has had that problem for five years that he hasn't been able to, like, dial in a wedge and be like, okay, cool. Like, I'm going to hit this to 10 feet, like, every time. Like, Bryson did it in two months. Like, it's wild. So I think that's fair. Like, I think he should be the odds-on favorite. Uh, it's followed by Rory, which, who I just made fun of for his wedge game. Um, Dustin Johnson, who just won the Tour Championship, another bomber. John Rahm, another guy that hits it really far and was playing really well this year. Justin Thomas, Xander Shoffley, Brooks Kepka, who just came back from injury. Um, he says that he feels better than ever and that he didn't realize how poorly he felt until he finally took the extra months off and rehabbed. My real issue next is that Tiger follows Brooks in the odds. Tiger is given better odds at Augusta this year than like Colin Morikawa, who... If you're not a golf person, you probably don't know that name, but he won the the PGA Championship at Harding Park. Young star actually gets a lot of comparisons to Tiger because he's an elite ball striker and what he's done at such a young age with not missing many cuts, uh, winning events before he's like 24 or whatever it was. Like he's gaining, he actually, it's a, there's some comparisons there. Obviously, no one has done what Tiger has done and like they're not saying that, but the fact that, he has better Tiger has better odds than him to me blows my mind because Tiger hasn't played and he hasn't played well like he barely played leading into the FedEx Cup playoffs he didn't really play well I don't it, this is classic like Vegas is just gonna like steal people's money like it doesn't feel like going into this that he's playing well and that he's going to compete I know it's Augusta I know He's the defending champion. It's a course that he can kind of plot his way around, and he has tons of experience, more than anybody who else in the field probably, besides, like, senior tour guys that aren't going to actually be competitive. So, like, he's got the most experience. He probably knows the course better than anybody that's going to be there. I get that. But to me, it just feels like at the end of the day, he's not playing well, and he hasn't been playing so why are we giving him better odds than Colin Morikawa? That's my major gripe. I will say that 
on this in this in a different vein, the two stats that matter the most at Augusta, doing a little bit of research, driving distance and greens and regulation. Driving distance, obviously Bryson mashes the ball, Rory mashes the ball, DJ does. Like the top three guys are absolute bombers, and they're gonna hit it so far. Augusta's not very long. It's gonna lend it lends itself well to that where some of those par fives you can really get after in two and have some really good scoring opportunities. Some of the par fours aren't too long, and not that they're really drivable, but you're going to be able to give yourself a short iron or a wedge coming in on some of these things, and which is helpful, especially with some of these shelves and tiers and false fronts where if you land the ball three feet short of where you want it to, it's going to roll all the way back into the water. Like I think having a shorter club in your hand is always an advantage in golf, and I think at Augusta it's going to be exacerbated. The real stat that matters more out of the two, though, is greens and regulation. That has been like historically the key stat. Like whoever leads the field in greens and regulation is typically placing in the top five, it looks like. Um, Tiger, I think, led the field in greens and regulation when he won it. Um, I'm just pulling that up to double check it. But yeah, he was close. Like he was. He was right up there in greens and regulation. Oh, my internet's down. That's why that's not working. I looked it up before I started recording. I'm pretty sure he was either first or second the year he won it. So that lends itself where Tiger could still be competitive. I just truly don't think, I just don't think it's in the cards this year. As a huge Tiger fan, it pains me to say that, but that's my master's takes. I'm excited to watch it. If I were to place, if I I would be betting on Bryson um, and then Sneaky with like not being in the top three, I would bet on Brooks just being like healthy, swinging the, swinging the club better. The guy has the mental edge in, in major tournaments. I mean, you've got him saying his knee felt, he didn't realize how bad his knee felt until he finally took the extra two months off to make sure it was okay. And with a bum knee, he was competing at Harding Park for the PGA. So a healthy Brooks Kepka is going to be a dangerous Brooks Kepka in a major. He's hasn't won at Augusta, but he's played well there. I think he was the runner up last year. So don't be shocked if he makes a run. Just gonna say that. The last thing I guess I really want to talk about, this is not minor, but can we just acknowledge the Red Sox really, really, really effed up by trading away Mookie Betts. First year with the Dodgers in the World Series. It's weird. I'm actually rooting for the Dodgers because I like want Mookie Betts to get a ring to stick it to the Red Sox. John Henry, you should have just paid the man. Coming off of his MVP year, you should have sat down, negotiated, got an extension done. Red Sox fans are probably going to say, or I know they're saying this, if, if there are some Red Sox fans that are listening to this, they might still say, well, he wasn't going to stay, Joe. Like, why are, you, why are you angry at John Henry? He got assets for a player that was leaving. Mookie Betts was only leaving because you refused to pay him what he was worth. It was the same thing with John Lester. John Lester would have taken a hometown, dis- a hometown discount to stay with the Red Sox. He only meant... A couple million a year. He didn't, John Lester didn't mean pay me like I'm an average player. He meant I'm worth top dollar. I'll take a little bit less to stay here because I like you guys. 
I don't know if Mookie Betts had ever wanted to take a home hometown discount, but he liked it here. If the Red Sox said, you are worth $30 million a year, we'll pay you $30 million a year. If they offered him comparable money back then to say, we get it, you're part of our future, let's lock you up now, let's pay you what you are worth, and made a statement to him about it, and was and showed him that statement by being like, we're offering you this mega contract now, we understand you are our future, that's a statement. That is like, we believe in you, we want you here. Like, it would have probably got done. The only reason it got so bad was because they were like, no, we don't want to pay you, and they were going to bring it to arbitration. Arbitration is like the worst thing for free agency. Like, you want to try to keep a guy? Don't let him get to arbitration because you have to literally argue against why he's worth money. Like, I don't know about you all, but if my employer had to go to some unbiased third party and say, and I go, I think I'm worth X salary because I do X, Y, and Z really well, and I do all of these things for my department and my job and my job responsibilities, I produce X, Y, and Z, I think I'm worth this salary. And they turn around and poke holes and say, no, well, you're not that great at this. Other guys are better at this. And, you know, they make this. So, like, we really don't think you're worth that. We want to, they're trying to, like, get it as down as possible. Like, why would I want to work for them? The same way, it's this, it, that's how MLB arbitration works. Like, if you're a free agent, you're going to be a free agent, and you're the team that wants to try to resign you is just telling you how you're not worth that much money because you're not as good as you think you are because it saves them a few bucks that year in arbitration. Why would you want to go there? Like, why would you want to stay there? Like, that's a miserable experience. Like, I would never want to do that. So, if your response is Mookie Betts wasn't going to stay because he didn't want to stay, it's that kind of shit that makes you not want to stay. Make a statement ahead of time, pay the man the money he needs and desires and deserves ahead of time. We're not having this conversation. That's going to wrap it up for me. Uh, I want to go watch some of the rest of these Monday Night Football games. At this point, I don't know who's won or lost, so we'll see how that goes. I really need Mahomes and, Ke- uh, Mahomes and Kelsey to not put up like 35 each and go crazy because I'm leading, I'm leading by like 55, 60-ish, I want to say, uh, in one of my leagues, and it like looks pretty out of hand, but you never know with Mahomes if he throws like four touchdowns and they all go to Travis Kelsey. Like, it's not looking good, so. Andy... I didn't get to finish this. The game's not over before I finish recording, so I can't cry on the podcast if you beat, come back and beat me. So I apologize. That was your one major request. So, With that, you can connect with us at, on Twitter at PodRoundTable. Um, DM us, tweet at us. We want to engage with you. If you have any content ideas, let us know. Um, thanks for listening. We love having you guys. And with that, I will talk to you next time. Peace. <laughs>